Good morning. Happy Sabbath. <clears throat> let's uh, let's begin with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this one day in seven you set aside uh, and what it reveals about your character, that you are a God of complete and utter freedom, and you are not a God of coercion. I want to thank you for this opportunity to teach, an opportunity to learn. Um, as we finish the first quarter, great controversy perspective, uh, please send your Holy Spirit here to guide our study. Uh, please continue to bless this class individually and corporately. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, I want to make a special welcome to our visitors here in person uh, and the members and those who are uh, listening and watching online. We are studying Lesson 13 in the first quarter uh, on uh, the Great Controversy, and the title of the lesson is called Redemption. As we go through today's lesson, it's important to continue to consider the uh, the events of the you know, termination of of time uh, of the time on Earth, anyway, under the in the within the context of the Great Controversy, uh, the controversy between Satan and Christ, uh, the allegations that were made about uh, Lucifer, Lucifer alleged he was equal with Christ, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so God set set about setting forth some evidence, and the entire creation. Entire the fall, Earth's history, uh, and the closing events of Earth's history, along with uh, our time in heaven, need to be considered under the, within the context of the great controversy. Simply because it's reality, and it makes more sense, in my opinion. It makes it makes much better sense to consider consider all these events and within the context of a controversy and allegations about. Uh, Christ's and God's character. So, as we uh, go through, keep this in mind. The memory verse, Sabbath lesson, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21.4 God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Does it make sense that if God's wiping away tears that there might be some tears to be wiped away. Right? We'll delve deeper into this in the uh in the some of the days later in the lesson. But I've often th- this this text has generally been presented in the context of there'll be no more there'll be no crying in heaven. And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that um, during the thousand years when we're in heaven, before the whole the new uh, Jerusalem comes down, back down to earth, that there may be quite a few tears in heaven. In fact, it's, it's possible that God himself may be crying. He may be crying right now. And consider that God, God feels the entire collective of human sorrow and suffering and pain and woe in in and of himself and he'd be in a constant state of crying he might yeah well i mean you know he's 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 infinite so what i don't know that he's actually shedding tears but but uh, i do believe that he's he's feeling our 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 pain our suffering our sorrow and and identifying with us 
as did Christ. The way you're right. I mean, it'd be in a constant state of, of sadness. You know, as a parent, when, when, you're, when children make decisions which are harmful to them, out of harmony with the laws of nature, the laws of health, um, the laws of worship, don't you as a parent feel a, a, a collective sorrow for the child? Deeper than you'd ever understand. Deeper than I'll ever understand, that's right. But then again, I think, because, uh, you know, in the past we've been through things, and when it's over and said and done and things straighten out and everything's good, you think, why did I worry about it? I mean, if you know God's in control, it's all going to turn out anyway. You know, and God knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. And he, he's not going to change it. You know what I'm saying? He lets, he lets nature take its course. He lets people make their choices. He, he's not going to change them. But he knows that there is going to come an end to it all, and there's going to be... He, he does know the outcome, and he knows, you know, he knows who, who will, who will um, have their characters in harmony with his and, and with heaven's, and, who, and he knows the names and, and identities of those who won't. Um, so he, he already knows that the outcome's ahead of time. We are, we are shielded from that knowledge, and I think that's probably a blessing. I think that our tears will not be dried up until we, after we find out who isn't there and why they're not there. And uh, after the judgment is over, I believe we'll shed tears for those who are not there. I uh, completely agree. So it it's... So you know, God will wipe away our tears, and and He will He will uh, give us ample opportunity to uh, investigate decisions made, choices made, uh, rejection of the Holy Spirit uh, for those of uh, whose loved ones uh, are not there, and we'll have we'll eventually have every question answered. This is from a Sabbath lesson. People often ask. Why did evil arise in the first place? Central to the answer is freedom. And I, I agree, that's correct. True freedom, true moral freedom involves risk, because if persons or beings are truly free, then they must have the option to do wrong. Thoughts? No, no you don't want to hear my thoughts. But... <laughs> yes, we do. I, I always want to hear your thoughts, Tina. Your thoughts are entertaining. <laughs> and insightful. Yeah. It's been my biggest um, unanswered question I could say in my life. I mean, God created angels that could fly. Okay? He created everything that we know of. Why couldn't he create them with the possibility of not sinning when they never knew what sin was? In other words, there wouldn't have been a choice because sin would have never existed. If he had created it from the very beginning and there was no sin, how could sin have ever happened well i think that goes to the heart of the definition of freedom if if you create a being without the possible without the possibility of rejecting its creator you've created a robot without true limits now free will why couldn't he have limited that 
We have other, we have, we don't, we can't go into the third dimension. There's things that we can't do. Why couldn't he create us without the ability to do that? The sin. Um, it's caused so much grief and sadness. Well, we don't know what, we don't know what Adam and Eve resembled. Really? <laughs> I, I, no, I believe me. I get it. I completely get it. We don't know what sorts of capabilities Adam and Eve had. We don't, we don't know. It's possible they were able to fly. It's possible they, I, I don't know that I think that they were probably constrained by time. But um, we are here some 6,000 years uh, removed, you know, thousands of generations of sinful generations and genetic um, mutations and, and deviations from the original design so that we are, yeah, we are constrained. We're, we're lucky to get 80 years on this earth um, and then we die. Or we go to sleep, but to to create um i mean would you would you have created your children without the possibility of of um being able to sin don't ask me that question <laughs> uh, make it re- make it rhetorical um <laughs> but see, what i'm saying is what i'm saying is the only being that would have known the possibility of sin before creation before the creation of other worlds or angels or anything, would have been God. Nobody else would have been up there, to know, and, and, I mean, as far as we know, because we don't know where God came from. But I'm saying, so when he created the other worlds, when he created the angels, when he created everything, why did he not make them with the ability to not sin, knowing the consequences of it? I mean, he would have been the one that knew, nobody else. Because nobody else knew what sin was. Nobody's answered. So we're going. So you're going back to his creation of Lucifer. The, the, the first the scripture tells us Lucifer was the first created being. And why did God create Lucifer with the with the uh, capability to reject his creator? Is there something wrong with me? Am I the only one that's ever thought like this? No, no, no. I, I think we've all had we've all had questions. <laughs> We've all had questions like that, and I, I have to. I, I, I think that the problem comes with our our human definition of freedom. We, our collective understanding of freedom is based on being raised in the United States, where we're, you know the U.S. is a nation of freedom. But the free, our freedoms, our rights and freedoms are dictated by the government of the United States. Whereas God's definition of freedom is mandated by the government of God, and the government of God does not run like the government of the United States. Thank you. Exactly. You know, if they have elections in heaven, they don't resemble ours. So there... There are two different definitions of freedom. I mean, for, for someone to be truly free, you have to be able to, to reject the laws of the government. I mean, but when you reject the laws of the government, you reject design law. You don't reject, you don't reject a, a speed limit. You reject the design law. You reject the laws of life itself. Yes, sir. No, I just want to say, I mean, you know, those discussions are very, you know, they're, they're what you call consequential discussion we always have so i i resonate with the lady in front of me here but i yes. when you look at it um, you know the essence the first the first evidence of god is love and the first evidence of love is actually 
that freedom. I mean, that is that is what makes God loving. The fact that he loves so much that he actually lets you be free. In fact, love cannot exist without freedom. Absolutely. So the freedom is is a is a in my opinion the first manifestation of the God is love. Absolutely. Yeah. You cannot you cannot have pure love without freedom. And, cannot be done. And if I have to elaborate a little more, I mean the reality is, you know, in the book Great Controversy at the very end she says, look, you know, the whole universal pulse of one beat of harmony. After all this is over. You know, it's a uh, it's an amazing statement, the fact that that doesn't mean the potential for evil doesn't exist anymore. It just means that people and all the free beings will choose not to engage in the experiment anymore because the results of the experiment would have been clearly valid to everyone. That's right. That, that's what will make the universe truly beat in harmony. Correct. We'll get into that in more depth uh, later as well. Martin, nice to have you back, by the way. Thank you. The criterion is not in terms of freedom of choice. The criterion is not good or evil, obedience or disobedience. God wants to forgive our disobedience when we make mistakes, when we come to Him. The the freedom of choice is related to do we want to live with Him or not? We didn't ask to be created. God decided to create us. Then He gives us the freedom of choice. Do you want to live with me? Or not. Lucifer decided he wanted to be a God unto himself. He didn't want to live with God because he wants to take. In order to live with God, the principle is given. He gives life to us, we give honor to him. If we make a mistake, the law says he is, he is, he is merciful and gracious to forgive if we love him and obey him. Forgiveness is not the problem. The problem is, do we want to come with him, be with him, or not? That's the only sin that he cannot forgive, if we don't want to live with him and be with him. That was the problem with the Israelites. They wanted eternal life, but they did not want to come to him. Thank you. Well said. Back to the statement from the lesson. Because if persons or beings are truly free, then they must have the option to do wrong. Where's our definition of what wrong is? Are are we looking at this from an imposed law lens or from a natural law lens? Okay, is violating the speed limit wrong? Only if you get caught. caught. That's what I said. Right. Yeah. Does violating Newton's third law of motion care if you get caught? Anyone know what Newton's third law of, of momentum, momentum of motion says? Every action, Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So when your car hits a tree at 70 miles an hour versus 20 miles an hour, the consequences are different. Physics, the laws of physics treat both vehicles the same. Also from the lesson, fair enough, but the next question arises, why then didn't God just blot them out when they did wrong and spare the rest of us the horrible results of rebellion? This answer gets to the heart of the great controversy. 
as we will see this week, the Lord runs kind of open, a kind of open government. And though much about him and his ways are mysterious, he will resolve the great controversy in a way that will forever end all questions about his self-denial, goodness, justice, love, and law. I don't think God's government is kind of open. I think it is wide open. And in fact, he relishes inspection. He delights in inspection. He delights in difficult questions like Tina's. He loves it when we come and ask him tough questions because he tells us the truth in a loving manner and leaves us free to decide. Truth does not diminish by detailed inspection. In fact, it becomes more brilliant and truthful. It is not tarnished at all by questions or inspection. Anything we don't understand about his government is because we could not conceptualize or appreciate or tolerate or comprehend the truth of it. Reference John twelve sixteen twelve. This is where Christ says, I have much more I wish to say to you, but you cannot bear it. He's talking to his disciples. He's telling them he would love to open the gates the, the the gates of knowledge wide to them, but their minds could not tolerate it. Okay, we we now are still functioning in that in that uh, mentality. And frankly, as finite created beings, that's what the all of eternity is going to be. He's going to continue opening up new facets, new avenues, new uh, methodologies of what his love and his government is, but only when we are able to comprehend it. Yes, we will go and undergo a significant paradigm shift. Sunday's lesson, Binding Satan. What is us that binds us to Satan's side in this controversy? Because humanity has thrown their lot in with Satan ever since Adam and Eve fell. What binds us? Two things. Who do you trust in believing the lie? Okay. We're born into eternal condition, but then when you come of age to be able to comprehend truth, uh, are you open to it? All right, well, let's even go back to Adam and Eve. They they were created. They weren't born into, into a sinful condition. They were created perfect. So, what bound them to Satan? First thing. The lie. The belief in a lie. They believed the lie that Satan told them. You shall not surely die. The belief in a lie. They considered, hmm, God's not trustworthy. And then everything following that was a manifestation of the belief in a lie. Searching at the seeking out for to protect themselves taking of the fruit to gain knowledge because it's pleasing to the eye and useful for gaining knowledge. Um, fear and, and selfishness, covering themselves with fig leaves, hiding because they were afraid. Now, you and I were not created perfect. We were born. We were born without, we were born without having a say in the matter. What, there's something else that binds us to Satan's side. What is it? Come on, we've been over this. We are born with a sinful nature. We are born with a genetic code, a, a sinful genetic code, passed down from countless generations before us. 
Okay, this is this is one of the one of the many reasons why Christ had to come to Earth and live out and develop that character so that He could eradicate the 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 genetic tendency to want to side with Lucifer. And he did it in his human brain. Very important to understand that. And now he offers this as a gift to us. This this remedy that we talk about so frequently in here. Yes. He revealed that God is trustworthy, that his ways and methods and principles are the source of life, the, the only methodology for life. And he developed the, the remedy for our sinful nature. Okay? The two things that bind us to Satan, well, what breaks these bonds? Truth. Truth is, destroys the lies. An understanding of the truth, an application of the truth, that destroys the lies that we believe. What breaks the sinful, the, uh, our sinful nature. God's grace and experiencing God's love. Okay, God's grace and experiencing his love. I have here an application of Christ's character, which is also, you know, donning the robe of righteousness, dying daily to self, replacing the heart of stone with one of flesh, circumcision of the heart, all these metaphors uh, in Scripture that we've heard so often. There are those who have no knowledge in terms of scripture, but God still speaks to their conscience. Oh, absolutely. And how they relate to the moving of God in their conscience is <clears throat> evidence of the power of God's grace in their life. Correct. Then they, therefore they are a law unto themselves. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, there's a good statement as where Prashik again talks about us saying, um, every inherited and cultivated tendency to evil can be overcome by the Spirit of God. So in essence, there isn't an excuse. I mean, you know, we, we in the medical, I come from a medical background, we're increasingly learned that even though you have these genes, there's a new study called epigenetics, how those genes are expressed. Right. And those have to do with choices. The choices we make determine how they express that. That's Correct. In the past, we used to think those genes are determinant all the way, but now we're realizing those choices we make are environment, <clears throat> what we choose. So if you have a genetic predisposition to alcohol, don't live near to a bar. You know, uh, yeah. make some choices. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exercise the will. You know, the smoker who wants to quit smoking has to exercise his will to not buy a carton of cigarettes yeah. and to not smoke them. And, in the, and the law of exertion states that if you exercise something, it will strengthen. You can strengthen the will by exercise of your free choice. Any other thoughts? So, um, what is it that's going to bind Satan after the second coming? We, we understand that um, the second coming, the righteous living on earth will be translated to heaven without uh, uh, seeing death. The dead in Christ will rise. The wicked on earth will be killed by the brightness of his coming. And the wicked who have already passed away will remain asleep. And that Satan is going to be cast into the bottomless pit, utter darkness, for a time. What is it that binds him? Yes. You, I guess you probably won't have a job. He'll be no one attempts. <laughs> he won't have a job. <laughs> He'll be unemployed for a thousand years. Yeah. In a semi-retirement. 
You say he only had his no one to tempt. Hmm? He won't have anyone to tempt. That's correct. In that sense, he is bound. Not just that, but wasn't this the opportunity for him to demonstrate that if he's saying that Christ is not God, that he's as good or better than Christ, that this is his opportunity to then create if he is yeah. uh, if he is who he claims he is. Well, I think he's had that opportunity since he was since he was cast out of heaven. I think that's why he was. That's one of the reasons he was cast out of heaven, not only to prevent infecting the remaining angels with his sophistries, but to you know, again, God is wanting to provide evidence, and he says, okay, if these are your allegations, I'm going to set you on your, I'm going to give you your own kingdom and see what you do with it. But that was creating an influence, not creating life. Well, there's also one rule of one, one school of thought, and this is a school of thought, not based on whatever, <laughs> that says, you know, back during the original conflict between God and Christ, God and Satan, excuse me, God and Satan. Um, that Satan says, I can create. God says, okay, well, here's this little blob of mud. Go create. And he let him go for it for however long time it was. Time to, to him is, is nothing. And that blob of mud may have been earth. Probably could have been. Now, this is just conjecture. And after a period of time, God says, okay, now let me show you how it's really done. And that's how we have the earth as we know it, the terraform earth as we know it. I I I think that's reasonable. It's it's reasonable, but it's it is conjecture. And we don't know we don't know how we don't know what what period of time passed between Satan and his uh, minions being cast out from heaven and the actual let there be light. Yeah, and what God would have done is he would have let Satan have first shot at his creative sure whatever's endeavors, and then he says, okay, now you know this is what you have done. If you created the monsters, you created the monsters you were unable to create. Now let me show you how creation really, really happens. And if you have the rest of the world watching this, it's it's quite an interesting demonstration. I agree. We could uh, we could feasibly say that Satan has been bound to Earth since the crucifixion. Could we not? Because at at that instant when Christ yielded up his life, the mindsets in the rest of the universe. The angelic mindsets and mindsets and any other intelligent beings that exist, their minds were fully made up. They were fully persuaded of the truth that, oh, okay, so if Satan had his way, he would kill God himself and did. So minds that were made up. This is why we read in Revelations, woe to the earth and the sea. Rejoice, you heavens. Satan's going to no longer... No longer pester angels. They wouldn't. wouldn't give him the time of day. They wouldn't listen to his nonsense. If it was physically bound, probably not physically. I, I don't think he was physically bound. But in terms of any, any being effective, inspired writings suggest that he no longer had access to heaven. But I think you know whether you know his his golden pass card was taken or whether or not the angels just wouldn't listen to him. Uh, I don't know. Just invalidated. So with um, so with no more humanity on Earth, if there's nothing here, um, you know he will be unemployed. Certainly, he's not going to have uh, he's not going to have anyone to tempt. Have you ever heard the theory that God will bind Satan on Earth for a thousand years just to ponder what he's done? Is that reasonable? No. Thank you. 
I, it is not reasonable. His character is is fixed. And if we believe scriptural prophecy, which I do, the pondering of a thousand years isn't going to accomplish much. Because as soon as as soon as the, the the wicked who are asleep are resurrected, what does he start doing? Start right before that. He starts planning for war. Well, I think during that thousand years, he's going to plan if he hasn't already. Absolutely, he's going to spend spend a millennium marshalling his uh, his forces and generals and dividing and organizing. And he's got a legion of demons that can be working on stuff while they're. Still- That's right. Isn't it more reasonable to consider that as the Holy Spirit is is withdrawn from the earth, so righteous are taken to heaven, alive and dead, the Holy Spirit's withdrawn from the earth, isn't it reasonable to think it's going to revert back to its pre-creation state? No. no. Why not? Why? You had the source of life withdrawn. The source of life is withdrawn. No, his pre his pre creation state. I'm, I'm so not Lucifer's pre creation state. No. Earth's pre creation okay. state. Yeah. The, it will be darkness. The earth will be void and without form. I think it's reasonable to think that. Uh, we don't know that the earth will be dark and without. Yeah. We we don't know that, but I think it's reasonable to suspect that. Beg your pardon. There's no reason to believe that the sun is going away. But if you have the source of life withdrawn... The source of life is Christ, but the earth, there are still stars out there, and the sun is a star. There is no documentation that leads us to believe the sun is going to be extinguished. That's a, that's fair. I, You're correct. There is no documentation to think that that's... No reason to believe the sun will be extinguished. So therefore, there's every reason to believe that you have the potential for photosynthesis and everything else to exist. I respectfully disagree. I, I think that the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn. The source of life will be withdrawn. withdrawn the source of energy. Um, I think the sun will be dark. And I think it will be a dark pit. I think it will be a, what, what we understand as a black hole. You're right. We don't know. That's correct. You think Satan being thrown into the bottomless pit. You think of the bottomless pit as darkness. Yes. And lumber again. You know, love the abyss. <laughs> I think we have a difficulty because metaphors are used, and sometimes we try to make them concrete. That's correct. Yes, that's right. You know, it, you know, virtually all of Revelation is a book of symbolism and metaphor, and Christianity picks the the parts that it wants uh, and makes it uh, concrete and and reality, whereas much of it's metaphor and, and symbolism. Yeah. Yes, sir. I mean, I appreciate everybody acknowledging that once you move beyond what the word of God states specifically, you're speculating. Yes. And it's okay to speculate when we acknowledge that that's what we're doing. But in terms of uh, talking about Satan, this thousand-year thing, I couldn't help but think it occurred to me that, you know, could it be that, uh, as we know, God is on trial, the entire universe is looking on. I, I, I don't totally agree with your uh, premise previously that uh, basically the universe, the rest of the universe has already decided on, on this whole great controversy theme. I think it's still... There's a reason why it's still going on, and it's not just us. It's an entire universe looking on. Could it be that last thousand years, basically, God showing the world, look, I've given this man, I've given this being a thousand years to think through, and look at what he does even after that thousand years. As soon as he given a chance to, to go back, he's doing exactly what he intended. He's going to take hold of all those that remain and get resurrected, and he's going to marshal them against Jerusalem. 
and fire comes on him and destroys him. And, and that's really going to be the last final act that will demonstrate, you know, two, two sides of great controversy, so to speak. That's just my surmising on it. Well, I, I, there are some, I believe there are some inspired writing uh, evidences that suggest that heavenly minds were made up at Calvary. Uh, I don't have the references, the specific references, and, and that's where I get that from. That's where I, I glean that opinion from. Um, but, you know, we're, 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 here to, we're here to agree and disagree, yes. Well, to, to take this point, uh, and here again, it's, it's what if. Um, we know that the, the, once the New Jerusalem returns, the gates will be opened. We know they'll be opened because before the fire comes down, the gates will be closed. You don't close something that's not open. So why are they open? We don't know for sure, but is it a possibility that it is a gracious God saying, here's the last of the evidence, guys. This is the big picture. It doesn't get any more simpler than this. We are still giving you a last chance. Uh, you're, you're into Thursday's lesson, but thank you. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, that, I think you're exactly right. Conjecture, but it is a possibility, and it meets along with the character as we know it of God. Monday's lesson, the why question. The lesson asks us to read Revelation 4. I've included 4, 5, and 6. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast and his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned for Christ with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live until again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. What will our role in judgment be? Vindicating Christ. We are witnesses to his ruling. Thank you. Nice. And more, more specifically, what does it mean to have judgment committed to you? And any other, any, are your mind, are your gears working in your minds? Thinking of the texts where, uh, humanity has had judgment imparted to them. It depends Daniel 7. Judgment imparted. I mean, are we the active judges? Are we the ones whose judgment is being validated? I, that's my question. Yes, sir. I think there's also the declaration there's only one way for intelligence to exist is God's way. In other words, those who experienced this world recognize in one sense that there is no other way except in God's way of love. And so in one sense, they judge for the universe God. You have no other way. It's the only way. Why is it the only way? Because it works. God's is the only way that works. In other words, any other way leads to destruction. We have evidenced. We have seen it. Because God is the designer. God is the creator. He designed life to operate around a certain set of That's methods right. and principles. Whether we understand them or not, it is the only way that does not lead to destruction. It is based on love that... Uh, you begin to comprehend, will continue to comprehend. I think we will even grow in understanding eternally. Uh, I agree. Did you have a question? The only way intelligence exists is if it's for good. I, I submit that Satan is a very intelligent creature, and he is not using his intelligence for good. 
No, I think what he was saying, the only source of intelligence is God. Lucifer got his intelligence from his creator. I didn't hear so- And he has, he has uh, bent that. I mean, just like a gun. It can be, it can be used yeah, to defend yourself or it can be used to murder someone. Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt he's a very intelligent creature. Correct. Daniel 7.22. This is from the King James Version. And I beheld the same horn made war on the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it into pieces. Note the different translations. This is from the the New King James Version. I was watching, and the same horn made war against the saints and, and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, which sounds more reasonable under a natural law construct. Judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, or judge, a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High? Judgment is given as a handing down of judgment in that situation. It's a give. And my my understanding is that judgment given is a is a opening up of the understanding and enlightenment yes. of the saints. The ruling of the judgment is being given. The New King James Version translates it differently, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints. Might the might the translators of the New King James Version had a legal mindset to begin with? We need to be discerning when we read different translations. Thoughts? Okay. The Let's go to Tuesday lesson, final judgment. From the lesson, quote, In Bible times there were two places for judgment, at the city gate and, at the king's, and before the king's throne. The elders of the gate decided all the small cases, but the king decided all the large issues. His was the final word in ensuring justice. Similarly, the Bible pictures God enthroned as the king of the universe, guaranteeing that justice is finally done. Is this a uh, adequate or accurate comparison? Comparing God's judgment with the uh, king's judgment. John 18.36, Christ said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Again, is this an accurate or adequate comparison comparing God's judgment with an earthly king? It's inconsistent with the prior discussion of uh, God being love and love being fully open and free. Um, so the, the individual having to make informed choices and having judgments about um, what is the right course, whom to trust, uh, who you want to spend eternity with. I think that it is often destructive to compare God's government with earthly governments. 
Now, ideally, the, the governments that function best on earth are ones that are modeled after God's government, because, but because earthly governments are made up with fallible, sinful humans, it is a weak comparison at best. And we continually project onto God's government our understanding of the way earthly governments function. And therefore, we diminish God's government. Yes, sir. Yeah, but having said so, there are some good parallels there. I mean, obviously, the reason why, for example, we have judgment determined here in the United States based on federal state law, because he who has dominion creates the laws and decides where the judgments fall. And the real sense of God, because he has sovereignty, and this is his world, regardless of what people may think or not, doesn't matter. This is his world. Even the beings who don't believe in him, he created them. They're his. Correct. And in the end, he, he has the prerogative to determine judgment for that reason. So I see a parallel in a way, even though I agree, humanly it's imperfect in its application. But the, the principle, the general sense that he who has sovereignty over that territory or whatever is the one who creates the laws and determines the judgments based on ways whether those laws are being kept or not. So. Okay, well, what does it mean? What does God's sovereignty represent? What does it mean to say that God is sovereign? Well, this is my father's world. I think there's a song that comes about like that. It's, I mean, it, it's his world. Even, even a rebellious world like this it still remains his. And he just voluntarily... He, God essentially has absolute sovereignty. Even over the human will, he has voluntarily relinquished that sovereignty. He could control it. He chooses not to. I mean, so I, I kind of... That's, that's my thinking process on it. I, when you say he could, I think, I think he has the power to, yes. to bend human will, but... If he did so, then he wouldn't be God. Exactly. He, it would be inconsistent with his character of love. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, but he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay. Open that can of worms. Let's skip to Wednesday's lesson quickly, and we may come back to Tuesday. A new heaven and a new earth. What is it that will make heaven heaven for us? God's presence of God, presence of Christ, Amen. streets of gold, yes, no, pure, clean air, water, healthy food, a mansion, no sickness or death. What, what about what about being surrounded by a group of people who love you more than they love themselves? A group of people who would trade their place in heaven and be be cast out from God's presence if it made you happier. I think the reason why the, the, the saints will throw their crowns at his feet is, is more of a symbolic gesture. It may even actually physically happen, but they're realizing this isn't what's important. That's right. That's correct. There's another thing I think that's very evident. Any questions concerning God's character? have been resolved. There's only one way for intelligence to exist that is happy and enduring. It's God's way. We can't put it into words, but it, I think the universe and every intelligent entity in the universe have come to the realization of the dimensions of God's love while beyond comprehension are such that God is the only being 
that we want to have to be sovereign of the universe. God's way is the only way for intelligent beings to continually exist and be happy. This is Isaiah thirty twenty six. <clears throat> this is a prophetic text talking about the um, the recreation, the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold, as the light of seven days, in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. This is a text that some people use to support the theory that the flood was caused by mankind and not a judgment from God. They conclude that, and I'm not saying I'm in this camp. I've heard both theories, and I'm actually, both theories make sense. Whether God intervened in order to stop the, the, the tide of sin, or whether or not uh, man caused it because of their, their behaviors and uh, the destruction of the environment. I'm not in either camp. I don't have an axe to grind on this. But they, they claim that the earth will be, the earth was perfect when it was created. It was created perfectly. And if it's recreated perfectly, then, well, the sun must have been seven times hotter at the time of creation and the moon was as bright as the sun. And in order for the earth to be temperate with the sun seven times hotter, there had to be a massive thick layer of vapor firmament surrounding the earth. And, um. Yeah, there had to be a hydrosphere. And that, that was what was released in addition to the, uh, the waters of the deep blowing up. That's what caused the flood. I don't have, I'm just wanting you to understand this theory is out there. Um, I'm not so sure, but it does have some merits. Is it metaphorical? What difference does it make? Yeah. It would be right. Um, again, I'm, I'm okay with either theory that, that it was man's, it was man's causation or it was God's. I don't, I don't have an axe to grind. But imagine the holy city coming down to earth. I mean, have you guys pondered the dimensions of this thing yet? We, we've talked about some in here before. I want to review it. Shoot. Scripture is massive. Scripture tells us it's 12,000 furlongs, which is roughly equal to 1,500 miles, and it's shaped in a cube. Okay. This is a city 1,500 miles high. I included a picture in the notes. Some some creative guy uh, fashioned a, a a box and set it on a globe to give it some perspective. It's entertaining. But you know, if if you presume also that the Earth's axis is going to be rotated back to what it originally may have been, so that you're actually spinning with with it properly aligned, otherwise the Earth would wobble. Then you. Well, it would be easier to. I think it, I think God could correct the wobble. Oh, yeah, that's, that's not a, that's not a... <laughs> if he if he made the sun if the sun go backward ten degrees on the sundial for Hezekiah, or stop the sun at all for Joshua, he can uh, he can correct the wobble. On on October twelfth, two thousand twelve, uh, an Austrian adventurer named Felix Baumgartner stepped into a capsule uh, attached to a weather balloon. And released the uh, the restraints. And the weather balloon took him up to 127,851 feet into the stratosphere. Are you guys familiar with this? Mm-hmm. 
And then he depressurized the cabin, opened the door, looked out, and jumped. Uh, in his effort to break several world records as far as the high, the longest free fall, the highest skydive, and the, um, sound barrier. Yeah, the, the, my, the maximum velocity without any sort of mechanical propulsion. 12,800, excuse me, 127,851 feet. That's roughly 23 and a half miles. He reached a speed of 846 miles per hour in his descent. And uh, he passed out on the way and luckily recovered his consciousness in order to, in time to pull the chute. Using higher mathematics, uh, this is roughly one one hundredth of the height of the holy city. So this would be analogous to jumping out of the first floor. Maybe some perspective. The bottom line being, you can trust the landlord and your eternal companion. Yeah, right. Whatever details he works out is going to be. Hard. Amen. We, the, the reality is, is that we cannot, we cannot conceptualize in our finite minds what God has planned for us after, after the termination of time on this earth. But you can Can't be done. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Yes, sir. No, I was going to say, you know, going back to your question, and you have a new earth, what's, you know, what's different? You know, why is it called heaven? I couldn't think of another thought, which is, you know, the universe is safe again. I mean, you know, there's safety. Uh, That's right. God, God now finally has people to defend him. In a real sense, Lucifer is supposed to be the defender of God. I mean, he was the very presence of God. If anybody had a vouch for God's character, it was him. And he actually walked out and there became an arch, you know, enemy, so to speak. And we, all of us sitting here right now, are called to be his defenders. Because in, in, a, in a, a world in which your character is what matters, you can't use military force or anything to defend that. It's going to be defended by people around you, vouching for your character, for who you are. In a real sense, I think that's, that's what New Heaven is all about, is that we, the redeemed, will now be able to say, we know God, we we vouch for his character. We, we have experienced him on Calvary and beyond. So That's right. I, throw it out there. I think it's a great transition to Thursday's lesson uh, entitled No More Tears. If we spend a thousand years um, in heaven pouring over the medical records, the books of heaven, and being trained in the diagnostic process, which my understanding is judging humans and angels, then we'll undoubtedly have some questions and some tears about why the loved ones are answered or why the loved ones are absent. I was thinking as I was preparing for this class this week that using kind of our health, um, you know, the, there's the penal substitution model, which is the legal process, and there's the health substitution model, the healing substitution model, excuse me. Um, I was trying to come up with some comparisons on how things, uh, how things are going to function, and I, I got thinking about how our time on earth might function like medical school. There are, there are a couple of physicians in here right now. When you guys went through your didactic training in medical school, did you know everything that there was to know about being a physician? No. What did medical school do for you? 
foundation. It, thank you. It provided you a foundation upon which to build. Yep. Okay, and then you chose a specialty. And you went through, what, anywhere from three to ten years of clinical training. And what did that do? That built on the foundation. Now some, some uh, clinicians stop there. But the, the good physicians continue the education process. They go to continuing education courses. They spend lots and lots of money educating themselves on the latest trends, the latest techniques, traveling. That's why they call it a practice, but they're still trying to get it right. That's correct. <laughs> and, and some of you are fortunate enough to encounter other physicians who are not at your experience level, and you you impart some of your wisdom to the you start you begin teaching whether it's on an individual basis or whether you end up in a teaching institution, teaching large groups of people. This is how, in my mind, this is how things are going to function. Our time on Earth is the medical school. This is where we inter internalize Christ's character, where we internalize the remedy, where we. We build that foundation to where we're ready to, we're ready to see him face to face because we are like him. The time in, time in heaven could be analogous, the millennium in heaven could be analogous to the, to the residency. We're pouring over medical records. We're learning, we're learning lots and lots of clinical skills about the diagnostic process and how it functions in, in God's, uh, in God, at the feet of the, uh, great physician. And then the rest of eternity, we're in continuing education and we're teaching. We're teaching angels what it, what it means to be saved. We're teaching other intelligent beings, beings what, about the story of redemption and what is done in our lives, what we've experienced. Any thoughts from physicians? Does this, I realize this breaks down in places. It's not a perfect analogy. No, yes. Well, we have access to other worlds to give testimony, our testimony. Will we? I think it's reasonable that we will. I think they'll be coming to us. Yeah, or vice versa. Yeah. Or both. Any other thoughts before we wrap up? Yes, sir. The biggest thing is, you know, in the end, Romans 8, 28, you know, all things do work together for good. And the love of God is going to be fulfilled like global what you call it, in a universal sense, because even this terrible evil of sin that is descended upon us, man will now be in a more exalted position in a real sense, because Christ has become man and will remain man. That's a powerful thing in the sense that as a result of this rebellion, as a result of this terrible choice that our four parents made, we actually, God is able to turn that around. Not that that was a good, <laughs> that was a good choice, but God is able to turn even that evil around and make, uh, make man in a special place. So I think we're, we're going to have a special place because we are redeemed and we have an experiential knowledge that nobody else has. Nobody else will have it. And one last question to ponder. What is it for all eternity which will keep sin from raising its ugly head again? Two things. There'll be no more tempter. There'll be an end, there'll be an end of temptation. <laughs> And we will have, we will have lived out the results. We will have seen the results of what sin did to humanity, what it did to our Savior, what it did to God's perfect creation. 
so that we will exercise our free will and never choose that pathway again. We will have the freedom to do so. We will remain free to rebel. But we will be so settled into the truth of God's ways and methods and principles in his government, we will trust him implicitly. We will be in harmony with his design for life. We will never choose to deviate from that again, ever. Sin will be eradicated. Sin will be eradicated. What a day. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we look forward to the day when we will no longer be concerned about uh, sin and sorrow and death. And when you will wipe the tears from our eyes and you will open the open the medical records uh, and we can revel in, in the healing remedy that we accepted and we can be have you wipe the tears away from our eyes from uh, the loved ones who didn't accept. Uh, please continue to go with us. Uh, bless those of our group who are not with us and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.